Welcome to This Never Happened, the podcast. Every episode, I, Tim Stevens, present to the board of what exists some flotsam of entertainment for the elimination from the timeline. Be it album, TV show, movie, or book, I will not hesitate to fight for a better pop culture landscape. I will not stop until the truly terrible and the awfully benign are referred to with the simple sentence, This Never Happened. Aiding and abetting my quest is the engineer, Skip Serpico, and of course, all of you. Thanks for coming. Enjoy the trial. So, Mr. Stevens, what are you going to present to the board of what exists this week? If it pleases the Assembly, we would like to present Alice in Wonderland, a film from 2010. 2010, that seems very recent. Yes, sir. Is that a problem? Not a problem. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to you making your case. Thank you, sir. Proceed. Excellent. To begin with, we begin in 1865. This is year the novel Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, written by a renowned man of rumored queasy morals when it came to little girls, Lewis Carroll, was published for the first time. Shortened in common parlance to Alice in Wonderland, it depicted a world beneath our own, populated by all manner of talking animal and unusual humanoid. The reality of the world is a step left of ours, if you will, giving the whole plot a feeling of creeping insanity that is difficult to grasp or adapt to. All in all, it was an impressive work of fiction for children. And I want to take a moment and stress that. This is a book for children. Maybe you parents in the audience up there should keep that in mind next time you're wringing your hands about whatever bit of fiction is cool at this moment in time. Alice in Wonderland was written for kids. Anyway, in the years since its release, the story has been adapted and parodied and repurposed in films, books, cartoons, television shows, and comics all over the place. For that reason, I want to be clear here, right now, our object today is not with... Our objection today is not with the story of Alice in Wonderland. The original text and the tropes born out of it are all viable stories or storytelling techniques. Rather, our brief specifically concerns the 2010 film directed by Tim Burton and starring the likes of Johnny Depp, Anne Hathaway, Helena Bonner Carter in a Tim Burton film, which is shocking, Crispin Glover, Stephen Fry, Michael Sheen, Alan Rickman, and of course, Mia Veshekovsky as Alice. That is the sole scope of our arguments here today. It is our assertion that the film represents a low point for both film adaptations or repurposing of the text and for director Tim Burton himself. For this, and the reasons I will detail shortly, we asked the board to declare this never happened in regards to the 2010 Alice in Wonderland. We do grant that on paper it made a sort of sense. Tim Burton's films are, most of, more often than not, smash-ups of whimsy and dread allowed to play out with a sense of barely controlled chaos right before the viewer's eyes. 
However, paper is not real life, and in real life we got something very, very different. Now, if it would please the court, we'd like to present our evidence. Absolutely. We're eager to hear it. All right. To begin with, we start with the issue of the so-called uncanny valley. Now, in common parlance, the uncanny valley refers to issues with CGI, where things look somehow both too real and not at all real, creating a sort of disconcerting feeling in the eye, in the feelings of the viewer. In the case of Alice in Wonderland, despite the fact that CGI has evolved to the point we can make it do things like great visual approximations of items that just weren't available at that time to record, an incredible background, an aircraft, things of this nature, or to create exaggerated imagery that's compelling and transporting, synthesizing a whole strange new world populated by creatures unlike you've ever seen. Unfortunately, Alice makes the unusual choice to split that decision in the least artistically fulfilling manner possible, rendering the fantastical unknowns as cheap, stunted sets, and the known objects as bizarre, grotesque caricatures. Wonderland is supposed to be frightening, it's true, but that sense of fear is supposed to rise from the strange way the world works, how the figures in it are recognizable and yet act without seeming knowledge of what's real or pro-social. It is a world askew. In Alice, however, it's so visually ghastly. The idea of losing one's head is just par for the course. It doesn't create any extra fear. Next, we have the Mad Hatter's Dance. Look, here's the thing. I'm not going to refer to it by name. I believe words have power, and I don't want to risk bringing that thing into the world. Just know, you have my word, that it is awful. And yet the entire film builds towards a moment of celebration when it returns. This is not okay. Third, it's a movie wastes an entire cast of incredibly talented people, especially... Veshikovsky. A lot of the people in this movie, either on screen or as voice actors, are excellent and do wonderful things with material that's worthy of them. Here, however, they're just too little in comparison to the terrible script they're given. The exception is Veshikovsky, but her career doesn't deserve to have this ridiculous hunk of garbage attached to it. She's so good in it that it only makes one resent the film more because you can see it just devouring her talent without any guilt or ambition to perhaps rise to meet what she's doing. Fourth, it's a deadly boring affair. For all its candy-colored meets gray-toned bluster, it just is. It sits there. It's overlong and too damn boring. Finally, and this is the big crux, the, the real reason we want this eliminated from the timeline, Maybe we can save Tim Burton if we do it. This film feels like a breaking point, a moment where we officially lost a once-promising director, swallowed by his own ticks and signatures. And directors whose films used to bring with bounce and energy increasingly has been given over to creating hermetically sealed works of fastidious detail devoid of authentic feeling, pleasure, or surprise. 
Everything he puts on screen nowadays feels like an approximation of life, not actual life. This is from a man who once made a movie about a robot with scissors for hands that felt humanistic, sweet, and utterly beautiful at times. But not any longer. Maybe. Just maybe. If we can give him this one back. If we can give him a mulligan. He can conjure us up something that's a little more Ed Wood. And a little less Dark Shadows. What say the board? We've listened to your, to your argument. Uh, we, we feel you, you make a pretty compelling case. Um, so you're saying that there was one redeeming aspect of Alice in Wonderland? You are speaking to the performance of Mia? Yes. Uh, yes, I would say that uh, she is clearly talented and she does her best with atrocious material. And, and you're not afraid that striking this from reality, from the timeline, would, would affect her career at all? The only possible effect I could see is it improving as a result. Well, we, we see no reason why it should not be stricken from the timeline. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get someone right on that. I thank you for your time, and I praise your decision. Well, we look forward to, to seeing what you bring to us next week. Thank you. in the archives. This week's selection, the comic known as Frank Miller's Holy Terror. Sometimes an artist produces a noxious work, and it's a good thing. It gives people a peek behind the curtain at the man or woman who produces the art, and lets those people decide if they wish to continue to support such a person. On the other hand, Sometimes it's just further confirmation of what we already knew, and thus it's not worth keeping around. And as determined by the board of what exists, Frank Miller's Holy Terror is far more the latter than the former. Originally conceived of as a Batman story, Miller claims he changed his mind partway through and determined it was in fact not a Batman story, and that is why he took it elsewhere. Even accepting this as true does not diminish the fact that the Fixer, the lead character, sure as hell sounds a whole lot like Batman, with a significantly looser moral code. But ultimately that's neither here nor there. Plenty of writers have taken ideas from one company to another and produced them with little to no repurposing. Heck, some of Frank Miller's most popular works sprang from exactly that process, and many of the legion of superhero characters created in the late 70s and early 80s were X-Men characters that never came into being over at Marvel. No, the problems with Holy Terror are many, and they have nothing to do with how it started or where it ended up. Conceived, pitched, and plugged as propaganda by its writer-artist, 
It was a book that was behind its time in 2006 when it was first announced, never mind in 2011 when it finally hit shelves. Anti-Al-Qaeda propaganda that read a lot more like purely anti-Muslim propaganda was something that somebody could get away with in 2001 or 2002 or 2003. Just ask Toby Keith. The sun had long since set on that kind of thing being relevant, never mind artistically good. Which, to be clear, it was not. Ugly, flat, and slapdash in art, the book had none of the visual energy or wit that one associates with Frank Miller's best works. The writing was both dull and hyperbolic, no easy feat, and no character seemed to exist beyond the occasion to spout off some bit of pseudo-badassery. So the board did the right thing and declared this never happened. There is no reason for the ugliness, in every sense of the word, and reductiveness that holy terror encompassed. And so, now as then, we bid it Ma'am Salam. Thanks again. Show notes with links to information pertinent to this podcast are available at timstevensisungage.com. That's T-I-M-S-T-E-V-E-N-S-I-S-U-N-G-A-J-J-E, all as one word, dot com. Please also feel free to leave comments on this or other episodes there, or to make suggestions about what other pieces of pop culture you think are unworthy of existence. If you prefer to offer your comments and suggestions by email, you can send those missives to thisneverhappenedpod at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, mention it to everyone you know. Suggest they listen. Suggest it strongly. Suggest it in a way that makes it clear that this is more than just a suggestion. <laughs>